Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. You notice that our text for today is um, Genesis chapter 3, 32 verses. I'm not going to read all of that to you because we'll be going through that. If you've got your Bibles, you may wish to open up to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be talking today about envy. We've been in this series called Set Free. We've talked about being set free from your inner wounds and your inner hurts and set free from pride. But today we shift our attention to envy. And I want to make sure that you're clear about something as we begin. There's a difference between envy and jealousy. It's two different things. Some of you may say, well, envy, jealousy, same thing. I'm saying, no, it's different. Let me give you an idea of what jealousy looks like. Let's say I go to the gym and I see a guy working out there and let's say he's my age. The only difference is he's got a 32-inch waist and a six-pack. You know, me, I'm one of those guys, when I work out, I work out with my shirt untucked. It's kind of the male maternity look. Uh, but I look over at him and I, I say, well, yeah, I like to be in better shape, but it's no big deal. And I just get a donut on the way home. And See, that's jealousy. You know, jealousy kind of comes and goes. I don't really have anything against that guy who looks different than me. That's jealousy. Let me tell you what envy looks like. Envy is when I pull into the church parking lot and I see that brand new Dodge Ram 2500 quad cab pickup truck, the one I've really been lusting after, the bright red one, and then I see who gets out of it. I know the guy, and to be quite honest, I really don't like him very much. So I tell another person as we walk into church, you know, if that guy gave more money to the church, I bet our pastor could have one like that, too. That guy probably doesn't give any money at all. In fact, he's all flash with his cash. He puts all of his money into a truck. He wouldn't give anything to the church. Now, guess what? That's envy. I have just made that man my rival. And envy is dangerous because it doesn't leave quickly. Envy always says that I deserve more than you. Anytime envy enters into a relationship, it makes you my emotional enemy. Now, we're all envious about a lot of different things. For me, I'll be honest with you, it's not a new truck, so those of you with that new Dodge Ram pickup truck, you can relax. I just made that story up. Maybe. <laughs> I, I was making it up. But let me ask you this question. Be honest. If you have ever envied somebody else's car or pickup truck, if you have ever envied somebody else's physique or marriage or kids or grandkids, if you have ever envied somebody else's salary or success or their beauty or their hair or their opportunities or their wardrobe, if you've ever envied anybody's education or temperament or athletic ability or character quality, raise your hand. Okay, welcome to Club Envy. And I want you to know something, Club Envy even has an East Texas chapter located here in Bowie County and in surrounding counties. Club Envy is located on every street up and down Texarkana. You've got them in Hooks, you've got them up in Ashdown, they're all over the place. And if it goes unchecked, Envy can become very destructive. Envy makes people do evil things. I've even made a list of what envy does 
because I want you to understand the negative side of it, because if you don't understand how bad or how insidious envy can become, you might be prone to say, well, envy, jealousy, we all got it, big deal, so what, it's not all that bad. But I want you to understand, it is a really a bad thing we need to deal with. This is what I wrote down. It's not a complete list, but envy keeps relationships from growing. If you're envious of your husband or wife or of your kids or mom or dad, that relationship's never going to get better. Envy creates inaccurate judgments of other people. Envy hurts innocent people. Envy shows the true condition of your heart. Envy can lead to sin, can lead to some horrible consequences. Envy diminishes the enjoyment of your life. Envy chips away and destroys whatever relationship you currently have with God. The bottom line is this, friends. You cannot live a happy life. You cannot be a happy person and be envious at the same time. Because envy always wants something that it doesn't have. And there's not a person here this morning, man, woman, and child, old, young, whatever, in between, none of us is immune from this problem. But I want you to see today that even though envy is going to creep in and out of our life, we can be immune from the bitterness or from the resentment or the emptiness that often accompanies envy. And the good news is, this morning, you don't have to rely just on my opinion. The good news is we have something called God's Word. And God's Word always has wonderful examples of sin gone wrong, but it always has even more examples of how you counteract that sin. And so this morning, I'm going to show you one example from the Bible in the life of Joseph. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 37, but I want to tell you that the story actually goes from Genesis 37 all the way to, to chapter 50. And if you haven't read that entire story, I'd say take the time. Read those 13, 14 chapters about the life of Joseph. There is some absolutely wonderful stuff there. But we're going to start in 37. It's the front half of his life. And this is where envy really goes south pretty quick. You only need to know three characters in this story. You need to know that Jacob is the dad. You need to know that Joseph is the son. And you need to know that there are a bunch of other brothers, 11 of them to be exact. Now, if we start in Genesis 37, verse 3, this is what it says. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Jake, Joseph had been born in his old age. You know, you can stop right there because in those very first verses, what you have is a setup for a real big problem. We got the breeding ground right here for envy. Not only did Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved all of these other kids. He even went around and told people about it. Now, <clears throat> let's be honest here. How many of you knew growing up that you were not the favorite child? Okay. How many of you knew when you were growing up that you were the favorite? Okay, you're the people, obviously, that weren't here last week when I preached about pride. Well, not only is Joseph the favorite, guess what? His dad loved him most, and now he gives him a special gift. In verse 3, it says, Israel loved, and that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of these other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made him a rich, ornamented robe for him. A special robe. If you've got the King James Version of the Bible, 
It's called a coat of many colors. It is the amazing Technicolor dream coat. The brothers didn't get one. We don't even know. Maybe they got a jacket. Maybe it came from Walmart. We really don't know. Whatever it is, we know that his father gave him a very special coat, and that coat, that coat says, you're valued. It's an expression of my love. And in that culture, that amazing Technicolor dream coat established him as being an important person. This was real, in-your-face favoritism. And chances are, whenever Joseph wore this robe, it kind of twisted the knife a little bit more. And he probably wore the robe a lot. And every time he did, it communicated something loud and clear. It communicated to the other boys, you're not the favorite. I am. I'm number one. You'll never be anything but two through 11. Now, as I unpack the text a little bit this morning, I want to share with you a few of what I will call envy nuggets. And envy nuggets kind of help you uh, understand the problem. And one of them is this, that envy almost always starts with mild jealousy. Now, these guys probably had something to be at least jealous about. I mean, they weren't getting the coat. But look where, what happened. It turned into envy, and envy, left unchecked, goes hog wild. So the question is, how do we capture jealousy and diffuse it so it doesn't turn into envy, which we know envy often turns into anger, because in verse 4, what does it tell us? It says, his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Now, the brothers actually began to hate Joseph. But let me ask you this. If anybody should have been hated in this story, who should it be? Not Joseph. It should have been Jacob. I mean, Joseph hadn't done anything wrong. He didn't go out and buy the coat. He just got a gift from his dad. But the text does not say that they grew angry at dad. But they were so angry that they could not say a single civil word to Joseph anymore. That's how envy works. Here's another little envy nugget here. Envy distracts you from the real issue. It causes you to blame the wrong person or the wrong thing. See, I'm going to put myself in these younger brothers' shoes for a minute. I think all these younger brothers really wanted was for their dad to love them. I don't think it was really about the code at all. They wanted his love. They wanted his acceptance. And so what happened? Envy began to cloud their perspective. Envy turned friends and potential friends into enemies. And so when you, when you think of your rival and you can't even say a, a single kind word about him, you know you're caught up in envy. But the story goes on. It gets a little worse here in verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, causing them to hate him even more. So you got anger and hatred escalating. Listen to this dream, Joseph announced. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and my bundle stood up, and then your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before it. The brothers said, so you're going to be our king, are you? And they hated him all the more for his dream and what he said. Now, I don't know, those of you that grew up and had a lot of brothers and sisters, can you imagine one of your brothers and sisters coming up to you one morning and say, hey, guys, I had this really interesting dream last night. I dreamt that someday I was the boss and all of you guys worked for me. I was going to be an authority. You're going to do everything I ever told you to do. Isn't that great? Aren't you happy for me? I mean, as a matter of fact, could we not practice this? You know, you all bow down to me right here in the kitchen. 
I mean, can you imagine how that would go over in your family? They hated him so much that what did they do? They began to plot and scheme how to get rid of the coat and the person who wore it. If you skip down to verse 18, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, by the way, dad sent him out to check up on the younger boys. I mean, I got two words for his dad. It's called parenting class. Could have used one. But he sends him out to check up, but down verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance and made plans to kill him. Now, when you read the text, you ought to ask yourself, how did they recognize him when he was still a long way away? I have a feeling it was the amazing Technicolor dream coat. But there's another little envy nugget right here in the story. It's this, when you're envious, you don't need the whole picture anymore. When you're envious, you don't need details. You just need a, a whiff of something to build up some resentment. I mean, when you're envious of another person, all you need to hear is just the, the first syllable of their name. And suddenly, envy and anger and hatred start creeping up. You don't want the big picture anymore. Now, they want to kill him. It, now, some of you might already be thinking, you're listening to this story and you're going, they're going to kill this guy. Okay, come on, Pastor, give me a break here. I mean, sure, I'm envious. Sure, I get jealous, but I don't want to kill anybody. I mean, what's this got to do with me? I'll tell you what it's got to do with you. I've worked in prison long enough to know that there isn't a single person here this morning that is not just one bad decision away from being on the front page of the Texarkana Gazette tomorrow morning. So don't be saying, this isn't me. But what if your envy never reaches the level of violence? What about killing somebody else's reputation? What about killing somebody else's career? What about killing a relationship? Now, that would sound a little bit more like you, right? But remember, friends, envy can take a rapid ascent in the elevator of life to anger and hatred and revenge and destruction. I mean, these guys wanted to kill their brother. That's what envy did. Verse 19, what do they call him when they see him? They don't go, hey, there's Joseph. They said, here comes that dreamer. See, there's another little envy nugget, isn't it? See, when you envy someone, you begin to depersonalize them. They're no longer the son or the daughter or the brother or the sister. They get termed in some sort of cynical expression, uh, cynical way by the possession you don't have. Like, oh, look, here comes Mr. Dodge Ram pickup truck. Or, oh, look at her, Miss Liposuction. Or here comes Mr. Rich Guy. Or here comes that dreamer. Verse 25, verse 23. When Joseph arrived, and guess what? Here's where it turns violent. They pull off his beautiful robe. They throw him into a pit, and when the traders came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit, sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and the Ishmaelite traders took him away to Egypt. Now, their envy fell a little bit short of actually killing him, but they definitely thought and sought to destroy him. That's what envy does. It tries to destroy. If they couldn't have that robe themselves, they were going to make sure that nobody had it. Well, some of you know how that story goes on. Verse 31. Then Joseph's brothers killed a goat 
and dipped the robe in its blood. They took the beautiful robe to their father and asked him to identify it. A bunch of cruel dudes. He says, we found this in the field, they told him. This is Joseph's robe, isn't it? Yeah, not like there was any question. Their father recognized it at once. Yes, it is my son's robe. A wild animal has attacked and eaten him. Surely Joseph has been torn in pieces. Now, for those of you who don't know much about Jacob's life when he was a kid, Jacob, too, understood what it was like not to be the favorite. He had a brother named Esau. He had a father named Isaac. Some of you remember that there came a time when Isaac decides to give the birthright to Esau because he was the favorite. Well, when, when Jacob found out about this, he hatched a scheme along with his mama, and they cheated poor Isaac out of the blessing. As a result, he became known as Jacob the deceiver. But now Jacob is the dad, and guess what? He gets suckered into the same kind of scheme. Now, you would have thought that he would have been smart enough to see the old coat dipped in blood trick coming, but he didn't see it. He fell for the same trick that he had pulled on his father when he was a boy. There's a phrase that goes this way, like father, how does that finish? Like son. Friends, let me tell you something pretty insidious about sin. The sin that entangles your life or my life the sin that continues to defeat us or defeat me, that grieves us, if we don't deal with it in this generation, we will pass it on to the next generation. That's not an if, that's a when. I've asked this question of hundreds of guys who sit in prison. I said, how many of you have children? And if I were sitting in front of a group of 100 people, 100 men would raise their hands. They've got children. I mean, some guys have got six or seven kids by six or seven different baby mamas. They got their kids. The second question is, how many of you want your kids to be in prison with you someday? Not a one of them wants their kids there in prison with them. I'll tell you, I know a few grandfathers, sons, and grandsons that are in the same prison. But if you don't want that to happen to the next generation, are you willing to be the one who stands in the gap and says, it stops here? That's why at prison today we have something called the Malachi men, where we teach fathers how to honestly be daddies, because there's a big difference between being a father and being a daddy. Somebody who's willing to draw a line in the sand and say, I don't want this passed on to the next generation. Let's go back to the text here, verse 34. What happens here? Jacob mourns deeply for his son for many days. His family all tried to comfort him, but it was no use. I will die mourning for my son, he would say, and he continued to weep. You know, friends, the ultimate irony of this tragic story is when they finally got their rival out of the way, they didn't get what they wanted in the first place. What did they want? They wanted their dad's attention. They wanted to be able to walk into the tent one day and see Dad's eyes light up. What happens to Jacob? He now focuses all of his emotional energy on Joseph, who's gone. That's the emptiness of envy. Here's another little envy nugget. 
Envy doesn't lead anywhere. It always backfires. See, what they wanted was their father's love and attention. Now his eyes have grown dark. It's self-destructive. It hasn't led anywhere. Now, I wanted you to taste and see that. Envy is not some simple little sin that we can just say, it's okay, everybody does it. And it's not just here in the life of Joseph. It's scattered throughout the Bible. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4 says, I observe that most people are motivated to success by their envy. Romans 1.28, it says, Their lives became full of all, every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, fighting. Titus 3 says, Once we too were foolish and disobedient, our lives were full of evil and envy. Friends, there is no upside to envy. There's no sugarcoating envy. Because envy is evil, and we know that God hates evil, so what are we going to do about it? How do we go about attacking this sin? Well, once again, thank God we've got his word. You don't have to take my word for it, take God's word for it. Let me give you three things very quickly. Here's how you work against it. Number one, you just admit it. You acknowledge your envy. I already asked you to do that before most of you raised your hand. I said, how many of you ever envied somebody? We all got the problem. It's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous. Hi, my name's Barry. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name's Barry. I'm an envier. There you go. Got it out in the open. I take a hard look at the mirror of my heart, and I just admit that this is a problem. Now, maybe the way you start is asking yourself another simple question. Who am I envious of? I mean, put a name to it. And I think when you can say, man, I got a real problem with Greg or Laura or Randy, then I've taken envy out of the darkness into the light, and now I'm ready to move forward with it. In the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Some of you are rotten today because of envy. See, I need to start by acknowledging I've got a problem. And I've got a problem with this person. I'm making emotional enemies. There are people that I don't like because I'm envious of them. I'm torn up inside. I think way too much about some people. I just acknowledge it. That's always the first part. I've got a problem. The second solution, this may surprise you a little bit, it's got a little bit of a twist, but the second thing I'd suggest you do is apologize to God. Apologize to God. Now, most of you know 1 John 1, verse 9. It goes this way. Uh, uh, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You all know that passage, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about confessing your sin, I'm talking about apologizing to God. And I think there's a big difference here. I'm, I'm talking about saying, God, I'm sorry, because envy is really saying, God, you really screwed up here. You cheated me out of something I deserve. Friends, if you don't remember anything else about today's message, 
I want you to remember one thing. One thing. Here it is. At the heart of envy is the lie that says God owes you. That's at the heart of envy, the lie that says God somehow owes you. Now, I don't want to minimize anybody's tragic life that's here this morning. I mean, there are a lot of people. I mean, I, I see faces. I know enough of you already to know that some of you have experienced an awful lot of pain in your life. Some of you have had tough life, a tougher life than, than I've experienced. Some of you may even feel sometimes like God has like, hung you out to dry or uh, abandoned you. Now, if you've got those feelings, I'll tell you something. Tell God about it. Blame God about it. I mean, shout to God about it. Complain to God about it. God's a big God. God can take it. And you don't think that's the right thing to do? Read some of the Psalms. David really gives it to God sometimes. They're called imprecatory Psalms. I mean, he just lays it out. That's okay. Say that to God. He's a big boy. He can handle it. But let me also remind you of something else. God also holds you in his hands. The Bible says God knows everything that's going on in your life. He's seen every hurt and every sorrow and every pain. In fact, the Bible says that there's not a single bird that falls from the sky that God doesn't know about. He said, you don't lose a hair in the morning without God knowing it. But friends, if you really believe God owes you something in this life, if you can really stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and go eye-to-eye -eye with God and say to him that he is robbing you of something or that he's keeping you from something that you deserve, let me suggest that before you do that, you read the New Testament. Read the New Testament before you, you say, God, you owe me. Because in the New Testament, you're going to find Jesus and a lot of other people saying just the opposite. God does not owe us anything. I don't know if that surprised you, but God does not owe us a thing. In fact, if you read your scriptures, you'll find that the opposite is true. Let me give you an example. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It says, When you were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the debt. He took away that record and he nailed it to the cross. Friends, I'm suggesting that you and I apologize to God because the truth is, because of our sins, we owe God. We owe him big time. That's a debt. And guess what? It is a debt that not a single one of us can ever repay. And because God knows that none of us could repay that debt, what did he do? He sent Jesus into this world who on that cross where your sins are nailed for now and for all time, he paid that debt, he stamped it out. When Jesus said, it is finished, when he said, tetelestai, which is an accounting term, he said, I wiped it all clean, I've erased the possibility of you ever owing me ever again. That's why I, I want to encourage you, friends, that this week, if, if you sense envy trying to sneak in the back door of your life, stop and say, this is envy. And I'm sorry, God. I, I'm not going to believe the lie 
that you owe me. You don't owe me. I owe you. You love me so much that you paid my debt. You paid what I couldn't even begin to think of paying. I want to end with a, a practical thing for you to do. I'm going to acknowledge my envy, that's for sure. I want to apologize to God, but third, I want to learn to celebrate other people. Celebrate other people. Here's a little test for you. When a friend of yours succeeds, when a friend of yours gets that job promotion or something really good happens to them, and you can't find it in yourself to congratulate them, guess what? Envy has started to creep in the front door. Envy is looming. And if you leave that envy hanging around, the next thing you know, it's going to grab you by the throat, it's going to begin to choke you, and it will begin to harden your heart. Celebrating somebody else. Coming up and saying, wow, what a great thing. I'm so happy for you is the antidote for envy. But yet, I know there's some of you probably sitting out there thinking, yeah, that's easy for you to say. But what if I don't feel like celebrating? What if I don't feel like it? Huh, Pastor, what do you think about that? What if I don't feel like celebrating? Well, those of you who know me know I've got a pretty straightforward answer for you. Here it is. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Don't wait for the feelings to come. Just do it, and guess what? The feelings will come. They will. Celebrate until you feel like it. You keep doing it and doing it. And when celebration becomes a habit, envy won't reside in you. Envy won't conquer you anymore. When I see that guy with the 32-inch waist and the six-pack, I go, way to go, buddy. Looking good. When I see that guy with that Dodge Ram, I thought I got to try a little harder on that one. Say, nice car. I'm happy for you. Great. When that person comes and gets that promotion, I go, wow, that's wonderful. I'm, I, I'm glad to hear it. Jesus tells an interesting story in Luke 15. Many of you know this story. We call it the story of the prodigal son. I'll paraphrase it for you. There's this young son who basically tells his dad, drop dead. Give me the inheritance. That's what he really said, drop dead. I want the money I'm going to get one day when you're gone. He takes that money and he goes off to a far country, gets as far away from his dad as he can, lives a wild life doing God knows what. Meanwhile, there's an older boy who stays home and he's good to his mama and his daddy. But one day, the young boy, on his hands and knees in front of the hog trough, the Bible says, when he came to his senses, and I often thought, how low do you need to go before you come to your senses? He finally says, I got a better deal back at my dad's house. He goes back, and his dad is excited to have him back, and they throw a big fatted calf party. They got a Texas barbecue going. Everybody's happy, except for the older brother. The older brother comes in and he says, this son of yours, notice he's dehumanized him, this son of yours doesn't call him Ralph or Bob or whatever his first name or he doesn't even say my brother, this son of yours, this guy wasted everything on wild living, you know, he was probably at prostitutes and was drinking, although the Bible doesn't say that in the story, and you're throwing him a party, you want me? To come inside? Are you nuts? 
Well, when Jesus tells this story in Luke 15, he says something really interesting. He says to the older brother, we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate this happy day because your brother was dead and now he's alive. Your brother was lost, now he's found. Don't you just love that? The father says, we had to celebrate. I got news for you, friend. If God is going to celebrate us, we better get in line and start celebrating everybody else, too. That's like saying, if lost people matter to God, then they better matter to us, too. Revelation chapter 3 talks about wearing a white robe. And that's why I joke sometimes. People say, Pastor, why don't you have a robe? Hey, I got it on. <laughs> it's called the robe of righteousness. It's the same robe you guys got on. But Revelation chapter 3 talks about a white robe. It says that there's going to come a day when God is going to grace us, not with a coat of many colors, but with a white robe that communicates purity and salvation. He says followers of Jesus will wear that white robe and it will be an image of how much God loves you and how much God values you, not because he owes you anything, but simply because he loves you. I'm looking forward to that day when God says, well done, good, faithful servant. Come on in and put on the white robe. You know, friends, we can go through life trying to get the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Or we can focus on God's love for us and know that he's got something far better not only in this life, but the life to come. Let's pray. Father, you have loved us and value us so much. It's hard to be able to even think of where we can begin to say thank you. There's nothing we can do to earn your love. All we can do is just respond with love and devotion to follow your word, to listen to your admonition. Lord, I pray today that you will teach all of us to just come clean with our sin, to confess our sin, yes, and to apologize to you for telling you we don't want you to be our God, to apologize for the times when we said, God, you've shortchanged us. You didn't give us what we deserve. Lord, you don't owe us a thing. We owe you. I think of Luther who said, for all which it is our duty to thank and praise, to serve and obey. That most certainly is true. Lord, teach us to be people who are willing to celebrate with other people, even as you celebrate each and every day with us. In Jesus' name, amen.